0: Hi everyone, David here. Thank you so much for listening to What Matters. We hope you enjoy the show. Before we begin, if you and maybe some of your colleagues would like premium access to the What Matters podcast and want to read or listen to the essential in-depth journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than €1 a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy, coming to you from the IEA's 7th Annual Global Conference on Energy Efficiency and the Confederation of Danish Industries EE Solutions Summit in Sonderberg. My name is David Weston, and joining me as always is Michaela Hol from Agora Energy Vendor. Michaela, how are you doing? And what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far at the conference? And where do you see energy efficiency in the European Commission's agenda at the moment?
1: Um... Thanks, it's great to be here live, first time we have the guests live, and it's great to feel the spirit here. Sonderburg was declared the energy efficiency capital of the world, (laughs) and my hope is that it creates a big empire very soon, Um, and you feel a little bit the spirit of the place uh, where solutions have been tested. Uh, and very international crowd mm. here. So I hope that really this, uh, this conference uh, sends messages to policymakers around the globe, including also in the European Commission mm. and in Europe more general.
0: Absolutely. Uh, sadly, uh, Jan Rosenau, our other co-host, can't be here in Sonderberg as he's sunning himself in the south of France at the European <laughs> Council for the Energy Efficiency Economy Summer Study. Uh, but we'll catch, with him, catch up with him next episode and uh, where I'm sure we can all compare notes uh, on what we've heard this uh, this week. Uh, Foresight has just actually just launched our special print issue on energy efficiency which is available around the conference and online so do make sure you check that out. Um, I think the theme from the last few days of the conference has been about energy efficiency is a global problem uh, but can also be solved by international cooperation through discussion and collaboration. In this episode of What Matters, we want to look at how other parts of the world are tackling energy efficiency. Joining us this week on the podcast are Paula Glover, President of the Alliance to Save Energy in the United States, uh, Melanie Slade, Senior Program Manager for Energy Efficiency in Emergent Economies at the IEA, and Andrea Voigt, Head of Global Public Affairs at Danfoss. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Just briefly to begin with, I'd be really interested to hear from each of you about what you've heard and seen this week and whether energy efficiency really is here to stay. Uh, really is here to stay. Melanie.
2: Thank you. Um, Well, I very much hope so. That's where where I'll start. And I think that, um, as you said, the the spirit has been great this week. Um, There's been a sense of urgency that we've not seen for the 30 years I've been working in energy efficiency. So it really does feel like um, there was a conversation as whether energy efficiency's time has come, energy efficiency's time is now. But we've heard all of these phrases uh, this this week. We know them. We know (laughs) them very well. But but, but we, we get a sense of belief in them, I think, through, um, the enthusiasm that's that's been shown, and and through having so many ministers and leaders of industry coming together to talk about energy efficiency, because that in itself is an extremely unusual thing. Mm. Um, it usually gets um, delegated to to, to to the to the workers, um, right. but not so much getting this high level, high level yeah. uh, priority. So I really do think uh, it's it's the, the the
3: winds of change are, 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 are here.
0: Mm. Paula, how how do you would you reflect on this week?
3: Yeah, I think I would I would agree with what Melanie has said, and I think there's something about being in a in a space with people who have share your perspective and the importance of the work that you do, and so there's always kind of constant learning um, that you can take with you when you're isolated in audiences that may not have the same level of information or even the same level of interest, and so I thought for me for this week that was really also really incredibly important um, just to hear where other folks are around the world and how they're thinking about efficiency Mm. um, and specifically what kind of messaging we should be sharing out to increase the enthusiasm Mm. of what efficiency can mean for us in our energy economy.
0: Mm. Uh, Andrea, any thoughts for this week?
3: yeah well, totally agree yeah. with everything that, that was
4: said. I think perhaps to add to, um, to the points that were made already, which uh, yeah are spot on, obviously, first of all, I, I was really super pleased when I heard the Sonderborg, the capital of energy efficiency <laughs> yes. in the world. I found that really, really, really. Yeah, very cool. Great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then also, um, something our CEO said at one point, uh, Kim Fausing, he said at one point, um, we don't have, I'm not even saying anymore why energy efficiency because the why energy efficiency we all we have all heard that now and it's clear for everybody so it's now it's the how how are we going to make it happen and that com- brings it perhaps a little bit back to the narrative questions as well as well because the why we all know that uh the the multiple benefits energy security Emissions, jobs, economy—we mm. we know all of that. Mm. So the why really is, is a no-brainer. So so it's more about how do we really make it happen and how do we deploy it. And that's—I think—that was mm. something which was really for me a bit of the theme of this conference. Also,
0: do you think the why has been solved in the last sort of six months with the invasion of Ukraine, but also the energy price crisis, or was that already was that argument already had before this year?
4: But it got certainly the sense of urgency um, uh, with the Ukraine crisis. I, I think there is no doubt about that. So, so that certainly emphasized uh, the why. I think it has been out there for a long time already. But it's even clearer now. We have an energy crisis and we have a
1: climate, climate crisis. And so the energy efficiency is really the answer to both. If I may, I would a bit disagree. Because I think there is still something to be to improved y? in the <laughs> narrative. The why yeah. is not agreed. And if I look in the European discussion, um, I have to say, I think it was a little bit the influence of the IEA that influenced a little bit the European Commission strategy after the Ukraine invasion. The first draft was literally only a supply side. And it was only after the IEA came in with their 10-point plan, and then they did a joint event together, play my part, that the energy efficiency was there. And for me, frankly, it was a little bit shocking that not even the double crisis meant that you would start developing that. So I have to say, I hope that this event and the spirit from people outside, because I see in in, in European policies at the moment... It's a difficult moment to get this message across, I feel. There's a lot of sense of urgency around to diversify gas supply. Mm. We need to get through the next winter, but this kind of we would also need to invest now to actually, in a few years' time, have reduced our emissions. I feel it's very hard to get across. I don't know, Melanie, how you saw it from Paris and from the IAA, working really in in a key, uh, you know, you have a key role on energy efficiency there. So...
2: Um, I think the why started to really crystallize uh, leading up to cop twenty six and with the announcements that were made hmm. there, so I do think it, the, 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 the narrative changed mm. a bit with that, yeah. but then it got this massive boost yeah. Mm. Yeah. but we we mustn 't you know miss out the rest of the world and, and yep. it 's not, um, not got the same um, you know, force behind it in in, in other countries, perhaps yeah. other parts mm-hmm. of the world. Not to say there's not a load of interest, there is, mm. but I don't think the why is as concrete. So the, you know, where, where a country's got a net zero plan in place, you mm. know, it's, it's very obvious framing. But um, we find in, in the emerging economies, in particular, you know countries we work in like Brazil and Indonesia, uh, South Africa, um, the, 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 the people like us, the people who work in the field, absolutely convinced um, and also pretty much know what they would like to do. Mm but they are still really struggling to get the high enough level buy-in to get the resources they need to implement effective policy,
3: let alone the investment that's needed. Mm. So there's still, there's still that, a big job yeah. to be done there. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah that for sure. Yeah. I would I would think though that the why is also certainly in the U.S. the why is challenged because I think efficiency can really respond to a lot of different issues and so it really is multiple messages that you got to mm-hmm. figure out who you're mm-hmm. speaking to and what they care about um, and so you know what I've noticed this week is that there's a lot of focus around efficiency and climate. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't see that in the United States right. um, mm-hmm. and 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 probably because climate in and of itself is an issue that has A lot of arguments and so for those who are real climate justice supporters, the role of efficiency, particularly after what happened in in Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine has elevated, but quite frankly. Um, The conversation we had this week about consumers and energy savings, that also resonates with a different type of audience. And when we think about policymakers, we have to think about their Mm -hmm. constituents and then think about messaging that is going to really move them in a way that we think is going to be good for what we want, but also for their constituents. Because at the end of the day, they do need to be concerned about those individuals who vote for them. Mm. And Mm. so we have a responsibility, right, to message in a way that they're going to be thinking about this vote, this support is meaningful to the people that I represent back home.
0: So are the motivations... For energy efficiency, different in the U.S.?
3: It's, di- it's multi-layered, right. is what I would say. It's not necessarily different, but it's not just climate, mm-hmm. and it's not just energy security. Nope. Um, it's also energy burden, energy insecurity, because those are energy poverty. Yeah, it's yeah. all of those things. And sometimes you do have to highlight one piece versus the others because you're trying to attract an ally Mm. and that particular ally, just the climate Mm. message may not resonate with them, but the energy and security message may. Mm. And so, you know, we have a responsibility to kind of figure that out. Um, The good news is, though, that efficiency can address all those things. Right. It's great that efficiency can um, address those things. It's also challenging. Right. Because it's hard for people to really wrap their minds around Mm. a one size fits all Mm. solution. Right. And efficiency in some way is like that.
2: This but idea of communications has come up several times this week yeah, and, yeah. and people have quite yeah. rightly said, you know, um, amongst business governments, you know, most, most sectors hire communications professionals mm. um, who can segment markets, who can design specific messages for sp- specific outcomes. Yeah. We don't really do that so much in energy efficiency and uh, that's, that's something that's really lacking, something mm-hmm. that we need to do more mm-hmm. of yeah. because it's clearly necessary.
4: Mm-hmm. but uh, i also think that the points that you were made uh, that you made i think that's true for any region in the world I mean, yeah. yeah you always have different audiences and and with different audiences different messages resonate and, Absolutely. and it also depends on the context uh in on the political context in the respective regions so and for energy efficiency since it is so broad that's even yeah. more true i Absolutely. think something what what really for me stood also out at this conference um, was that uh, in many panels it was very much uh, energy efficiency was very much linked to appliance efficiency so yeah. there was always this link mm-hmm. to and, and s- when i say appliance household um i don't know refrigerator or split mm-hmm. air conditioner or whatever mm-hmm. it was always a r- very often referred to that we need efficiency standards and uh, many regions in the world don't have them yet so they need to come and the IIA, for example made a very good uh study about that uh, on the future of Cooling, it was called, I think, on air conditioning. And that's certainly true and super important. But I think it's also important to, to have a bit of a broader approach to, to energy efficiency than only just the appliance, because efficiency is much more yeah. than yeah. just the appliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, if you look at if we move to more renewables, um, then uh, we also ne- need to make sure that those renewables are efficiently used exactly. <laughs> and efficiently yeah. integrated into the grid so when are they used how are mm-hmm. they used yeah. um, all these how much flexibility can we give how much storage do we have etc yeah. so it's yeah. it's super broad actually and yeah. That brings comes and back to the narrative. To, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: the narrative, uh, and I agree, uh, energy efficiency. The, the, I think the <coughs> community it's still ar- gathered around this mm-hmm. kind of talking about the standards, etc. Mm-hmm. But we are not always out there, and actually, the need for the energy efficiency community to. Get out of their comfort zone,
4: yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: and talk around the product standards, which is all important, and mm. would we'll still deliver a bulk of the savings. Huh? I yeah. mean, let's let's mm. let's not, uh, but the energy efficiency as a se- as a as a mindset, and uh, for example, to influence when you plan infrastructure, we are not there yet. Mm. That I think would be the next step, mm. which would. Which we should respond to in this moment of urgency. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Maybe I could just say a word about why we why we focus the sessions the way we did. And it was you're right about the emphasis. But we were looking for things where urgent action could make Mm -hmm. a quick difference. And one of the reasons we go for things like electric motors, um, you know, appliances, is because in many parts of the world there is an infrastructure in place that enables you to actually um, increase ambition quickly because we know what what perf- good performance looks like. We've defined that. Mm. We know how to test these things. Yes, we exactly. know how to yes. measure their performance. So if you actually th- start to push and incentivize these things, you can make a difference by next winter. Mm-hmm. So we, we kind of, deliberately skewed the agenda a bit this time mm-hmm. around but it was so not a criticism no, no, it was just okay. it was a very deliberate move but just just um just a, another thing in in terms of outcomes of the week um we we put to put together what's i think going to going to be known now in in the in the capital city of uh, um, <laughs> as the um, the Thunderberg Action Plan, and I apologise for, for uh, not pronouncing the name of this city. I'm not doing But anyway, I, I apologise for that. But um, but this action plan, you know, it, it contains kind of ten strategic principles that, that governments, businesses, or sectors of society can can sign up to. They're things like governments leading by example. They're things like. Including all sectors of society mm-hmm. um, in, in decisions, um, you know, making sure that we we connect the implementers to to, to, to the policy decisions, but also we've um, we've kind of laid out these what we refer to as policy packages across each sector. So, a policy package for for buildings, industry, transport, mm-hmm. um, appliances, and and trying to bring together the idea of regulation, information, and incentives. So. Making sure that we look at those things as a whole hmm. because quite often governments have those three types of policy but they're not necessarily connected and they yeah. can actually drive much, more, mu- much higher ambition hmm. if they're done together. Yeah. and So that's, that's the idea about this, this kind of action plan. It's just to put what we know in, in a concise form and put it on the table.
4: Which will certainly help. Well, hopefully, help driving. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw also um, the conference had a focus on cooling. So is that uh, one of the global trends of energy efficiency that you would observe? Like, do we see popping up in every city, uh, like I read it about Athens, they have a person in charge of managing the heat waves. Is yes. this what, what you observe a bit as a global trend? or?
2: Yes, I mean, one of one of the things, and you'll you'll hear our executive director talk about this, um, and I think he did the closing remarks in the cooling session. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 countries like um, like India, perhaps you know, eight percent of households in area in places that are hot every single day of the year actually have air conditioners, yeah. whereas in the United States and Japan, it's you know ninety plus percent. Yeah. So basically, what what we're seeing is cooling, particularly space cooling driving up electricity demand in areas where the, the the electricity demand is not yet satisfied where the grids are being built out mm. it's really stressing grids and india's you know having problems as we speak yeah. because yeah. of cooling um, so yes it's hugely important but, it's but we we also see sorry just one mm. last thing we we think we see that from the future of cooling you can double the efficiency mm. of the existing stock or, or the mm. products that people buy—sorry, by 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 upping standards—they're right. mm. there. They're within the market. They're just not being purchased. So, mm. so that it's one of those things that can be done mm. relatively quickly.
0: It. But you also get—it's also stressing grids in in the U.S. You see yes. so rolling yeah, blackouts absolutely. in the height of the summer and across California and things like that. Is yeah. the U.S. looking into increasing standards and efficiency of those of the cooling products? And I think labeling? there is.
3: The DOE is looking at increasing standards, but. You know, the way that we are structured and, and I think it's really important for people to remember that, um, right, some standards are established by the Department of Energy. Some standards are established by the EPA. Building codes can be only adopted by localities. And so we've got a mishmash of different types of policymakers who can approve Um it's good because we, as Americans, like to have this set of, set of independence mm-hmm. and, and, and that kind of freedom. Um, it's challenging because when the people who are in charge change, mm-hmm. then the rules can change. Mm-hmm. And so for us at the Alliance, we are always looking at things that we believe we can get folks from both sides of the aisle to support and agree to because what we don't want to see happen is to see a gain with one administration and then have it taken away by another administration and then maybe you get it back and then maybe like that's just not a sustainable model and it doesn't really move us as a country forward. I think the cooling issue is super interesting to me Um, even in the United States because one our grid is Right. We have resiliency problems with our grid right now um, in that while we talk about climate still as a future. Right. We don't actually talk about climate. Um, as something that's going on now, mm-hmm. the reason that we see 90 percent of these households having cooling in the United States is because climate is a problem now. Mm-hmm. Um, Fifty years ago, you would have not seen air conditioners in New England where I lived um, because you didn't need them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a child who goes to school in New England and it was 85 degrees for a week last week. Um Right. And yeah. so what we're seeing is in areas of the country where people didn't need cooling, they need cooling and the opposite effect. That in places like Texas, where you never had to think about heating, now all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're getting they're getting extreme winters and people have to now prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because many times our housing stacks, particularly old housing stock that was built in these regions, wasn't built to withstand some of these things. And so when we think about what happened in Texas and the devastation in Texas, February of 21, Mm. we can talk now reflectively about how having better insulation in those homes would have helped those individuals. But we have to remember that 50 years ago, people didn't think they were gonna, they didn't have below freezing weather. And so they didn't have to insulate Mm -hmm. their homes. And now we're coming back and and you're trying to convince someone to make a $7,000 investment. That's super hard, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's just a really, really hard thing to do. And all of that is driven by climate. It's -hmm. not the narrative that we talk about. We don't talk, we talk about climate. Um, And I've heard people say, well, you know, in 2050, I'll be dead, so why should I care about that? (laughs) And so you're trying to say, yeah, but it's actually happening right now. It's actually not in 2050. We're actually already suffering from it now.
0: Hi, everyone. David here again. Just a reminder that you and your colleagues can get premium access to the What Matters podcast and all of the in-depth journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy by subscribing. You can give us a try for 30 days for just €29, where you can access our website and audio app. Go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes. Now back to our conversation. Um, with the recent White House and EU Commission announcement on a EU-US energy security task force yeah. um, a few weeks ago, and there was a joint letter looking into minimum, minimum energy performance standards, um, but some Congress members felt there was too much focus on LNG and not enough on energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with this, and what are your thoughts on the task force, and what should they be looking into?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there is a real focus on LNG because of the moment, right, right. and so. It's an interesting dynamic. This is all politics. This is mm-hmm. actually, I don't think this is, has very little to do with the actual process or mm-hmm. even really, but it's politics. And so yeah. what happens is you have folks who actually didn't think about efficiency prior to the war in Ukraine. It was not on their yeah. mind. But when people started talking about LNG, then efficiency became important because that was the counter to LNG. Yeah. So if I'm to be honest, my concern would be, the war ends and we're no longer talking about LNG. And these folks are not talking about efficiency either, right? Because the efficiency was just something that really was a great counter to what's going on. Um, I though think, and I feel enthusiastic because I think our president really is thinking about efficiency in mm-hmm. in context of a clean energy transition. Right. Um, and one of the things that he said in his State of the Union early this year was that with efficiency, households could save about $500 a year and that would make this transition to clean energy more palpable. Hmm. So folks heard $500 a year saving. They didn't really hear the other half yeah. of it, <laughs> which was this is actually to offset what we think will be the increase in price when we move, to this just transition. Right. Um, so very happy that he talked about it. Right. Um, and now it's like, okay, but $500 a year for a household is a lot of money. Yeah. What is that investment that's going to be required to get somebody to yeah. save high yeah. bucks? And it's thousands of dollars.
1: Well, Paula, you're the U S person here on the panel. So I really Thanks. have the hope that the U S will hold the hand of the EU, which is at the <laughs> moment really directly exposed, you know, and really directly sure. affected in order to have those more long-term ideas also being developed? And yeah. You know, it's like you say. Yeah, there was a political urgency. Um, for example, I was thinking. I mean, having the U.S. and EU establish a dialogue about energy security, and if energy efficiency were really a, a solid part of that, the two could really s- start a discussion on what I would call a little bit you know, um, addressing energy efficiency at the global level a little bit like we do in the COP talks, you know, the solidarity aspects, for example. Like... Let's say the industrialized countries could go ahead and say, we, we adopt green quotas to reduce our energy embedded in steel and carbon where mm-hmm. prices go up. I think that's the next issue once people start building houses and they realize it's already getting expensive. Yeah. So we play that part because we will have to allow the other non-industrialized countries to still grow. You know? They don't even have a car. You know, that's We discuss so it. So
3: this is not happening. And that, for example, the EU and US could lead. That is something. Mm. I think the the challenge will be for the U.S. that there is not necessarily agreement, right? And so it's very hard to represent on behalf of the country if there's not agreement internally. I think there's f- agreement on some of this stuff. Um, I, I just, I don't, I'm not close enough to it, but I don't think there's agreement on all of it. And I will say certainly stringent codes, which I th- we think are important, but the reality is we have pretty strong building codes now and we continue to improve them, but a lot of cities and localities don't adopt them. And so it's just paper. Um, and so then it there does become, and I would expect there to be a dialogue of, you know, if the U.S. is going to push these kinds of policies, we need to be doing them back at home or you're a hypocrite.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're yes. not actually
3: doing all of that back at home. And so how can you then get on a world stage and say we must have blah, 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 blah. But oh, by the way, with the wink, uh, <laughs> it's a lot harder for us to do it at what is, quote unquote, the richest country in the world. Right. Like we have yeah. to. Um, oh, I hope I keep my job. But that's <laughs> kind, of, yeah. kind yeah. of a situation that we're in in terms of the political dynamics
2: mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. to deal with. But that's one of the reasons we've put this policy toolkit together because we we want to try and seize this moment to make sure we do the things in the here and now because we've got this momentum. But we also take the opportunity to make sure that we're building the infrastructure that we need for energy efficiency for the, the medium and long term. So ride that wave of enthusiasm both for now and, and for longer term, and this toolkit, like I say, it, it, it covers just the basic policy measures that we see have been effective around the world. Things like your building codes, um, and it's just a it's a checklist. It's it's something that people mm. who um, people at a senior level mm. in government, perhaps who have not been involved in efficiency, can just see what the, see what the map looks like. Um, and yeah. many countries will have these things, parts of these things. Some people will have most of them, but in in all cases, they could be done better yes Mm -hmm. and that's always the thing like
4: you say you've got your codes but you you, the implementation can be can be improved absolutely well i think the implementation and and something that uh, came out this morning in in two of the panels um here uh, this morning um, where also the there was a very strong um, point made about the need for teamwork actually, yeah. which i which I found I never really considered it uh, under that angle well, I, I knew that of course you know that people should work together and that there shouldn 't be any silos, but I never really um, projected it on a case like Sonderborg or a city where where really you you have a very tangible um, translation of teamwork, of bringing the different players together, of bringing the utilities to the table, of bringing the industry to the table, the citizens coming back to what yeah. you were saying and, and the narrative as well. So, so also in terms of the policy recommendations, I don't know what exactly in detail is in there, but, but hopefully it's something we can also use to, to push this idea of teamwork when we take it to a, to a regional or to a local or to a city level because otherwise it's... yeah,
1: It's teamwork, but it's also skills. And skills, yeah. Your that was your, the other yeah. point that
4: came up this morning. Your yeah. boss
1: was talking this morning, and yeah. then he said, yeah, we inform the people here in Sonderburg. We, in, we inform them. And if they are connected to the district heating system, then they can get the advice there. And mm-hmm. otherwise, we will tell them on when they could install a heat pump. But this is paradise. Hmm. I mean, you right. know, within Europe, you have cities that have to that actually... Do, yeah. Decarbonize a coal based mm-hmm. d- grid. And they have no, there's many cities who need to actually, for example, I would say for Brussels, they mm-hmm. have uh, the oh. highest gas boiler rate in in Europe is in Belgium. And so I think Brussels will have to build a district heating
4: and d- grid from scratch for that. Well, and, yeah. yeah.
1: But you don't have this, I mean, here in Sonderburg, the people know it's all mm. here. He, so, and, 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 that is all, so this whole skill and it it, it starts in the it, on the policy level and goes down mm-hmm. to the city where mm-hmm. they can tell the people exactly yeah um, yeah I don't know you need a hybrid heat pump in your case or a full I mean and and then for skills something happened like um, which struck me a little bit which made me also again a bit worried it's in the European Commission and they just announced they will create now three new units <laughs> to supply gas and LNG to you know to for the ah. common purchasing mm. and I used to work there on the energy efficiency side, where, thi- where resources were always tight. And for years, we tried mm-hmm. to get more stuff to, you know, update the product standards and everything. Mm-hmm. And now this political urgency moment deviates people into, th- you know, three units on
3: <laughs>
1: supposedly cheap gas <laughs> purchase, hopefully. Mm-hmm. It's important, but this has effects. And, and, and I I listened to a podcast where Patrick Grein, who used to be our director, spoke. uh, He's now state secretary in Germany. He said, you know, you only have a limited number of people. And at the moment, those people are busy shopping for gas. And so I'm really a little bit worried because Mm. these are people who will not work on, you know, Mm. (laughs) on other things. Do you see that also in other parts of the world. I mean, if the German ministry already says I don't have enough resources, I'm sure that everyone has this problem in a way.
3: Probably, yeah. 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 I mean, I think, you know, what we're seeing certainly is that with this administration, he's pushed a lot of resources out. Um, but our previous administration actually didn't hire. So part of what we're going to be struggling with and, and is how do you find people to hire and how are you able to do it? We, we are in we we're watching the crash happen. Mm-hmm. Like this is a collision course and it's it's happening mm-hmm. where we talk about a great resignation coming out of a pandemic. So a lot of people who have kind of reassessed how mm-hmm. they want to work, where they want to work. So we have a talent shortage already. Um, our Department of Energy, I think, announced that they're trying to hire a thousand people, mm-hmm. thousands of people in an environment where talent is already really, really competitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we need it all right this second. Mm-hmm. Um, But we all need it right second. Industry is also struggling because, again, we have an administration that's pushed out a lot of resources, but we don't have enough ESCOs to actually do the work. And these are local jobs. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you build small businesses to do this work? Who are you going to hire to do this work? Mm -hmm. How are you going to ensure that they're getting trained so that they can do this work? And we all want to see it happen in like yesterday. Yeah. This is the other subject that's come up a lot
2: this week, isn't it? Supply chains, but not, yeah. not, not just you know, <laughs> the traditional ones we talk about of the factories. Yeah. But it's, it's the people. The brain aspect of implementation. Yeah. And, and it clearly is a, is a, is yeah. a, a, big, a big issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but as we, we all know around here, energy efficiency is a long-term thing as well. So we, um, we have to face those problems. and so We have to build, build the infrastructure that will help... Um produce the equipment we need, install that, make sure yeah. people know how to use it you know for the long term yeah. Yeah. So there's also
0: yeah. a, a financing issue as well if, yeah. uh, you, you just mentioned it was a long term investment uh, just, there's a supply chain shortages people want to return on their investments quite quickly. How do we mobilize that equity and that finance for energy efficiency and is it again part of the narrative, making sure we get the right narrative
2: so uh, one of our um workshops. Uh, at the beginning of the conference one was on energy service companies Mm. and what we were trying to do there is try to get people to talk about the various models that they've seen so that we could synthesize you know some good practice and some 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 experience from around the world and we had some great examples but we have very few that have been scaled so Mm -hmm. the question is are they scalable it hasn't happened yet, um, but we we hope we're starting to to come up with examples. The 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 most hopeful look like things like the um, insurance schemes that ha- have been you know mm-hmm. being built in various parts of the world to help um, reduce the, both the technical and the financial risks of, of energy efficiency investments. But there's a lot that governments can do to create an environment where energy service companies can thrive. Mm. You know, sometimes um, there are legal reasons why they, they can't operate. So if you take a an Indonesian example, um, Indonesian m- municipalities aren't allowed to enter into contracts that are more than a year because they're not allowed to take on a responsibility that may actually belong mm-hmm. to the next elected mm. local oh, wow. government. Mm-hmm. So are that you? completely wow. kills the idea of <laughs> yes. an energy service company. So they're, the, the national government is actually looking at you know, drafting new legislation in order to be able to make these things work. If you look at the real success of the ESCO market in China you'll find that government spotted some of these you know really systemic issues like the tax treatment of equipment that's um, not bought by a company mm-hmm. but used by a company mm-hmm. so kind of leasing arrangements. Mm-hmm. They had to completely rewrite laws in order to make that legal <laughs> and <laughs> wow. and to um and to you know incentivize uh, companies to to to, to, to pay f- from their revenues for services yeah. other than uh, instead of you know buying things from capital expenditure and then and then offsetting them against the, their normal tax regimes they had to kind of change that environment mm-hmm. to make energy service companies work and there's still a lot of that, that needs to mm-hmm. happen but it's it's there the, the seem to be some lessons coming out mm. of this that, that can, can help the scaling up process, but mm. we, we haven't seen it
1: work at scale yet. Right. Melanie, if I may, example here, or maybe Andrea, because you're the ambassador of the empire of Sonderborg. <laughs> 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 you're from <laughs> Tyre. <the> <laughs> not quite. <laughs> um, not even not Danish, quite. So. <laughs> no but uh, I read that here in the in Sonderburg there's this supermarket that has <laughs> this massive heat recover reco- so of what it u- uses for cooling mm-hmm. and then the waste heat it mm-hmm. recovers it 95% mm-hmm. and uh, apparently it's a big Tourist and study group sure. attraction. Mm-hmm. So, and I wanted to ask the two of you: Why is not every supermarket having this? But that is a very valid question. <laughs> yeah. Why is it yeah. a tourist attraction? So, in this concrete place, why does that? Is that a finance issue? Is it an no. awareness yeah. issue? Why it's, is it not every supermarket having that?
4: This is that's a very good question. Actually, it's it's really. I mean, it's something which is really. Um, You could nearly say common sense because any cooling installation will also uh, produce heat. And that heat uh, right now is just poof, it goes in the air and there is no incentive, no request, no requirement to do something with that heat. Whereas you could just recover the heat and then use it in the supermarket itself to heat water or to heat the supermarket or whatever. Or if you have a nearby district uh, grid, you can feed it into into the grid. You can even then combine it with a heat pump that upgrades that heat to the right level. None of that is rocket science. It is not happening it's not happening because people don't know because there is no incentive because in some cases there are tax issues solved now in denmark but still <laughs> um and, and then um also if you look at the district uh, at the district provisions district energy provisions in the energy efficiency directive for example no incentive to use a low temperature waste heat because that's what it is um there are mm. a, whole, a whole range of points um, that unfortunately um yeah, lead to the fact that this is uh, still a tourist attraction in inverted commas, but there is no need for it to be a tourist attraction. Mm. Really, not not from a technology perspective or from whatever else perspective. It could just be deployed broadly everywhere. So, but cl- classically, the issue
2: with waste heat recovery has been whether or not there's a use nearby. Mm. And in a in a place where you have district heating systems, yeah. it's yeah. it's it's obvious. But they're not that common, so. Um, putting that infrastructure in place to be able to use waste heat can be very complicated technically and it can be expensive. So, yes, these are things that need to be planned for when building um, new facilities. That's the easiest time to start to think about these things. But like you say, it, 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 technically it's achievable, it's, it's really But it, it involves lots of different people, lots of different... It's um, the teamwork. It's thing. the teamwork, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's, it's sectorally different. Um, and you need different parts of society involved. You need mm-hmm. your, your local planners as well as your energy people involved. So it, it's getting that community working together. Um, is essential to make best use of these types of opportunities. And you
4: reduce the need for heat production. Yeah. And that's really, it can make a big difference. And even if you only use it, even if you don't have the district side of things, even if you just reuse the heat in the supermarket itself, which is also, I mean, on site, which is also an opportunity and also reduces the heat production needed. There is there is really the other big example that also came up at the conference I think a couple of times were data centers same same yeah. story yeah of yeah. course you need to cool the data centers you will have the waste heat from the cooling what are you doing with the waste heat mm.
0: yes. I mean we're coming to the end of our time here we sh- <laughs> I'm sure we could do another whole hour <laughs> on oh, energy yeah, yes. efficiency around the world one thing we ask all of our guests uh, on the podcast is if they could look into their crystal ball what do they see the energy landscape looking like in 10 to 20 years time <laughs> Um,
1: dreaming aloud. Dreaming
0: is <laughs> aloud, absolutely. Uh, Andrea, what, what, what would you like to see in 10 to 20 years', years time?
4: Oof, dreaming aloud. I would see uh, a total phase out of fossil fuels. I would see uh, then consequently renewable energies and an integrated energy system where we don't think silo, but where we really do what I was just saying, where we combine... Um, Um, the heat sources Mm. with the heat demand and where all those synergies are being used uh, 100% and therefore reducing the need for feeding in more and more energy and then really making the broadest use of energy efficiency possible in that sense and also of course in the sense of energy efficient appliances if we could have that I think we would solve our problems.
0: And are you hopeful that will happen?
4: I am yeah, yeah, I think I'm an, opti- I'm an optimist. Yeah. I think we are on a good on a good way. Mm-hmm. Now we have to really pull it through. Mm. But the technology is there. So from a technology perspective, yes, the pressure is there. We need to get the narrative on the energy efficiency right as a real cat- catalyzer. Catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and and
3: some policy framework to give mm-hmm. the final push.
0: Mm. Paula, yeah. how about you? What does it look like in 10 to 20 years time?
3: Yeah, you know, I would say 10 to 20 years time, we've done a couple of things. One, we understand what it means to engage a community around these issues so that we are actually listening to community needs mm-hmm. and then acting in that way, which mm-hmm. is very new for us and it's kind of probably take the first five to seven to even really do it well. Um, But then secondarily, a result of that would be that we would have an industry, Mm. um, and particularly a sector that is far more reflective of the population that we have in the US. Um, Because that diversity will absolutely, I think, make us better in terms of the types of ideas that we have, far more creative in terms of solutions. Um, also, I think, just engage more people in that way. And we have a long way to go, but I think you know the priorities that the administration and that we've set forth as when we talk about a just energy transition, mm-hmm. that is a big chunk of what we're talking about. Um, it's the hardest part of the work because it's the thing that we've never, ever done before. Um, but I I do think in 10 to 20 years, we will have done that if for no other reason, because we have no choice. Um, we're, we just... If you don't include everybody, it's not going to happen.
1: And I can add something because I saw you featured in a book about superheroes. <gasps> Did you? I saw it on your <laughs> Twitter account. And you will have inspired these kids with energy efficiency. I hope efficiency, so. <laughs> And they will then be able to implement it in 10 and 20 years time.
3: I hope so. I will t- share with you. My I have a 25-year-old son who actually works in energy efficiency, oh. um, which is a complete shock (laughs) um, because he was a history major and so you know to have him come home and say hey ma do you know what a heat pump is and you're like "Uh, (laughs) yeah i'm actually quite familiar with it it's really super exciting to see him be excited about what this can do
0: Hmm. melanie what about you what's your vision for the future
3: well the the, i think that
2: the the community Angles are really important, but I'd like to take that one step further into small and medium-sized businesses mm-hmm. because it's there that we yeah. we just don't yeah. see an incentive to invest in efficiency. Um, the companies are you know, struggling with all sorts of yeah. things, and at the moment we're really at a loss to, to, to help them with the transition. So what I'd like to see <laughs> is that there are technologies that are adopted at scale by um, textiles producers, food and drink manufacturers, all of those um, companies that use steam and drying you know, as in parts mm-hmm. of their processes. Because at the moment, we, we don't have much to offer them mm. um, that's, that's of interest that they're actually going to get excited about. Yep. So uh, for me, that's the, the, the thing we've got to crack.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, just finally then, before we go, uh, we'd like to go around the table and uh, see what caught your eye this week, uh, whether it's something you've seen at the conference this last few days or something else that you've seen, perhaps on social media or uh, anything like that. Michaela, what caught your eye this week?
1: Um, crunch time in the European Parliament while we were here. Uh, they were expected to vote on, on new climate laws uh, and couldn't agree. Some wanted to water them down, some wanted higher, and it just made made me aware that basically what we've done so far uh, was maybe the easy part. Like, Mm. you advanced a lot on, you know, decarbonizing the power sector, and, you know, now you really, this is, the low-hanging fruits have been, now it gets, Mm -hmm. it will become systemic. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you see, so in a way, it was very illustrative of this discussion that they basically couldn't agree. Yeah. And Mm. I think that that's the phase we're in now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's being seen, many parts of the world uh, as well. Uh, Paula, what about you? What caught your eye? You know,
3: what caught my eye was something that was said the very first day of the conference which was framing efficiency as an investment Mm -hmm. as opposed to an expense. And we always talk about efficiency as an expense but we don't talk about it as an investment. And so one, for me, that that was the very first thing I heard. I was like, oh, I'm using that because I do think, especially if we talk about small businesses and even enacting policy, we do have to think about this. that This is a long term investment, just like in the States, we invest in education. We invest in lots of other things that we believe will make our country better. We need to think about efficiency yeah. as the investment today that's going to with make us long-term better horizon. with that long term horizon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, Andrea, what caught your eye?
3: what caught my eye uh, a lot of things actually <laughs>
4: but <laughs> maybe two one um that uh cooling really got a, got a specific spot mm-hmm. a, at the conference um with a dedicated session which really positioned it not just as as a as a technology but really as as a as something that tackles many different issues at the same time from food security and energy security and emissions and health Mm. that it's really very very cross-cutting it's something having worked in the sector for a long time I I knew but it was something else to hear it really said by many different people and even concluded by by Fatih Birol in his concluding remarks in that session that certainly was encouraging Mm. and definitely caught my eye Great. And the second I wanted to mention also is that a lot of basic solutions were actually mentioned. Mm-hmm. I was referring to the um to the uh, appliances beforehand but even more basic yeah. <laughs> that the the fact that uh, the finger was also put on the fact that you can do a lot in terms of energy efficiency with very very low um investment needs and yeah. with very quick payback which can be deployed very easily and fast and i thought that's something also um important mm. to say because you're always speaking bigger terms but there's also there's a, lot the a lot in the very short mm-hmm. term that can be done
0: interesting Melody, what call your eye
4: Ellen caught my eye. <laughs> okay. Have you met Ellen? I haven't <laughs> met Ellen.
2: <Alan>. Ellen <laughs> <laughs> is a ferry. Okay. Ellen yes. is an all-electric ferry <coughs> um, that uh, is is parked over there just at the moment, and I was lucky enough to go and go and see this morning. Wow. Um, and uh, I knew I was going on this trip and I expected, you know, something quite small that shuttled back and forth across the river. But we're, we're talking about a ferry here that, that, that's, that takes vehicles and, 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 and people between islands. It's been running for three years. Um, like I say, it's all electric. Um, they uh, have had the opportunity to monitor its performance well, so mm. they've got good good, good, good data. Um, so, are able to establish that um, r- annual running costs are 25% less than uh, a new diesel ferry, um, and that there is a payback. Even though, of course, it's a huge investment, particularly in batteries. So, there's a payback five to eight years. But there are something like 700 ferries that do typical kind of cycles or the SIP, sorry, similar duties to this one, around Europe. Just. Um, that could that could do this and what was what was also very nice is going into the engine room it was pristine after three years it didn't smell of diesel you know and these these are these are these are uh, vessels that you know come into to cities you know, so they and they they pollute both the air and mm. often the water mm. um, that the conventional mm. version. So I, I was very taken with Ellen. I hope
0: to See some more of that <laughs> yeah. throughout Europe. Absolutely. Uh, just finally from me, then I, I saw a post uh, by the NL Group, the uh, Italian utility group, um, and they were looking into the amount of paper uh, that's needed for a three wind turbine authorization in Germany. And it requires 36,000 sheets of paper, <laughs> which is nine times the length of the Harry Potter series, 17 <laughs> times the length of the Lord of the Rings series, and 49 times the length of Moby Dick. Which, um, so if we're talking about energy efficiency, I think using more efficient use of paper uh, would make, take a long way in helping us with our goals. Why are we using goals. paper? Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We Everyone's talking here talking I to digitize yeah. everything anyway absolutely um sadly that is all we have time for today my thanks to melanie paula andrea michaela uh here in sonderberg uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything you we have said in today's podcast you can tweet the show at what matters pod or email us at show at what matters podcast.com. thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you all again very soon